Hey, this is Harry. Um, this was a special showing. It was one of the volunteer Trilon um, specials that, that all of the volunteers got to put on. Nicole Pamela picked this one out. She's a volunteer projectionist since July 2009. Um, we wanted to shout out all of the volunteers. Um, she picked a great movie. Come on the podcast! Yeah, uh, Jason said come on the pod. Uh, you can if you want. That would be awesome. We'd love to have you. Um, I'm just going to keep talking until he turns it off now. Thank you. This was the try. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Thank you for listening to Try Love. Uh, what? What? What is this? What's happening? What Are you ready? Right? There what was such happening? a weird energy just yeah. now. I've lost my train of thought. That is the moment we realize that at least one of us, <laughs> maybe all of us, are the thing. I think we're all the thing. That's got to be the way That's this ends. <clears throat> Thank you very much for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies that we saw at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My name is Jason Daphnis. You can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. I'm Cody Narvison. You can find us on Try Love Podcast. I'm Harry. I just noticed that Jason got new glasses, and they look good. I'm Aaron. I concur. They look good. Yeah, they look good. Wow, holy you shit. look good. Great thank glasses. You. you look good. Yeah. It's a nice shirt, good glasses, good hair. Wow, thank you. It's all happening. I am, I am really flattered. Do we want to keep this going? empathy and kindness toward one another. Okay, unlike so this, the, is, this is uh, the thing. This is crossing yeah. the line. Unlike the thing. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be talking about the thing. We don't need to explain what the thing is, but Aaron wrote up a summary, so I want to. That's let John him. Carpenter's The Thing, 1982. Is there another The, the thing? full name? Yeah, there was a remake in like uh, 2011. It was not a, it was starring a prequel, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Wait, it was really? a prequel. I believe it shows what happens on the Norway. There is also uh, like an original, original version of this that came out in 1950 something. Are you shitting? That is technically the novel. I think that's the novel. No, that is a that is a. Let's take this back. Production. Nope. Let's keep going forward with it. I'm going to make that reverberate for like three minutes. Novella. Look, it's it's. So we just saw this movie and we came straight here. It's late. We're all tired. We don't need it. Novella. I know how to pronounce novella. Just just edit this out. So it's based on a novella about body snatching and human imitations. Alaska, 1982. Take us away, Aaron. Yeah, uh, this is the thing. It was Antarctica, wasn't it? It was Antarctica, yeah. Yeah. One of those fucking places. Uh, It is the thing. 1982 film directed by John Carpenter, uh, based on the uh, John Campbell Jr. uh, novella who... (laughs) (laughs) Jesus! (laughs) Uh, Run it back. Novella, who goes there? Um, Sorry, sorry, what was that? I think you meant to say novella. Uh, Novella, who goes there? Um, scored by uh, Eddie Morricone, uh, 
Dean Cundy uh, did the cinematography. Uh, first worked with that's the guy's name. That's actually the guy's name, man. Um, I did notice that it's, it's a good name. Yeah, he's a famous cinematographer. We first worked with uh, Carpenter on Halloween. Um, so. Uh, yeah, Kurt Russell stars as uh, McCready. He is a helicopter pilot working with a group of uh, American scientists in Antarctica uh, just as the winter has uh, started to set in. Um, they witness a pair of uh, similar Norwegian scientists uh, chasing and trying to kill a what appears to be like a sled dog in a helicopter, um, shooting at it, throwing uh, dynamite. Are we going through the intro or we want to give this a synopsis? This is a synopsis. Okay. <laughs> Sounds continue. like a shot-for-shot synopsis. <laughs> Please give me the, the rest film of what you've written. We pan down on the Beautiful Antarctic landscape. Range. No, we don't. We open and we're in space. Uh, we confront- cut to a diopter shot. <laughs> the confrontate. The confront. God damn it. The confrontation uh, goes sour. The Norwegians are killed, uh, and the American scientists take uh, in the sled dog. Um, later, when exploring the Norwegian lab, the team discovers uh, evidence of an alien life form, uh, as well as an old uh, kind of spaceship crash site nearby, um, and they learn that, yeah, there's an alien life form. There is the thing uh, from the title of the film. It is a creature that um, takes over uh, the body uh, of some sort of a host and then kind of imitates its movements and features, so not just dogs, but also the people uh, in the American um, research camp as well, and paranoia starts to build. Um, Shit goes down, I guess. Mm -hmm. Is that a fine summary? Is that fine fucking pinpoint there? Is that, is that okay for you? A fine novella. Why would you say that? that's not how you pronounce it? What if you, you, edited, what if you edited out my earlier ones and you just you, made you Harry mispronounce it? You would have to edit the entire episode because you said it like 16 times. <laughs> that's true. I I put a dollar down that you do it at least once more before I, the end of this yeah, podcast. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're probably going to talk about it, so yeah, why not? Uh, the novella novella was called Who Goes There, right? Yes. That's a good name. I like that. Uh, it is, yeah. yeah. There's a kind of a classic. If you Google it, there's a It's great because it asks a nice the question, like, too. who goes there? Like, who goes to Antarctica? <laughs> who even goes there? Who goes there? It's cold. It's real cold. Especially Why in winter. Why are you there? Why, it's like Why the Jerry Seinfeld bit on the thing. Why were they up there in the first place? No, it's uh, that's a cinema sin. What would they be doing in Antarctica? Cinema so Sinfeld. No, no. <laughs> you hear, like, a little, like, ding. <laughs> sin counter goes up one. Uh, is CinemaSins is still a thing? Yes, absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, they make yeah. a lot I'll bet of money, they're thriving. I'll bet they're thriving. Do yeah. they have more than 45 Twitter followers? Should we start a beef with CinemaSins? I think that could be our Should, well, of fame. Dunking on CinemaSins is really easy, and I don't know how much you can really Cinema get out of it anymore. CinemaSins. That's actually been done. Sean on Twitter, the guy who's a skull, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean Vids. What? Yeah, Sean, yes. No, he's just at Sean, I think. No, and he's Sean Vids. Sean Vids. Underscore. Uh, he's great. He, Sean, he did the, the guy on Twitter, the dude with the skull. Literally, he's an extremely popular... <laughs> oh, that guy! Extremely popular <laughs> Twitter account. Sean, and he has a skeleton. I've known several Shans, and they've all had skulls. Are they as far as interior? Are they endoskeletons? It could be things. Do you think <gasps> that the Shans I knew were things? You guys fucking know Every this Twitter Sean. account. Fuck yes, off. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I do not. I okay, don't. so, sure. so we're okay. gonna we're gonna start a Twitter called Cinnamon Sins, where any mention Ooh. of a pod of a of, of the of the spice cinnamon in any film. We just have to, like, buy the rights to the script of every single film in existence. Easy. And do a Control-F Cinnamon. Done. Uh, and we see how much of a part that plays in the movie, if, it, if Cinnamon is, is a central plot. Name a movie plot. that Cinnamon is in right uh, now. Julie and Julia. 
around can, the table. Cannot verify. Cody. Cody. Uh, Cody, this is a bad bit. We could change the I subject. I have no right way now. to confirm this, but I'm gonna. I'll put a dollar on the table that cinnamon makes an appearance in chocolat. In what? Uh, chocolat. This. These are cooking films. <laughs> this. That's cheating. I, do you not know that, the film? Was yeah. it cheating? It's obvious, yeah, of course. Yeah, ratatouille's probably in there. No, ratat- there's no cinnamon in there. There's probably cinnamon in there. There's ratatouille. no ratatouille. There's, there's probably no cinnamon in ratatouille. <laughs> I, 100% When's the last time you saw ratatouille? <laughs> like a week I run, ago. I, I, run saw, the I saw it today. I run so the shot I'm by shot sure ratatouille Twitter account. There is no cinnamon. I do actually run that account. Thank you. I run the Shatapui shot for shot Twitter account. This is Cody's finest joke that he's ever made, so he brings it up every opportunity. I think this is the first time I've brought it up. Just to stab me with it. It feels real good. Give me... I'm like delirious right now. I don't know what's... We have a weird energy. You need to drink more water, my friend. I do, yeah. And we just watched the the flamethrower. We have to do the blood test, everyone. (laughs) Give me three things that you like about this movie. It's simply like one, two, three. Do not expound. So nine things total. We have nine things to give. I'll do three really specific things. Do you want me to give two? Yes, please. More specific, the better. I have three specific Uh, things. Okay, in the first act, there's like a lot of moments that uh, somebody will say something to a character, and the character will just react to it without saying anything, and they close the scene on that. Somebody will be like, all right, McCready, get your stuff, and McCready will just look sort of like... Uh, wistfully. Wistfully, but also just like pissed. He's just like, oh, God. Oh. But he doesn't say, oh, God. He just sort of looks that way, and then we hold on that for like three beats, mm-hmm. just a little bit too long, and that's how the scene ends. And uh, thing 1.5 thing one point eh. um there's also a lot of fade to blacks in this like really slow fade to blacks and it gives the whole movie like a really interesting episodic quality that i like a lot um thing number two when they're first dissecting uh the first thing that they find out in the ice uh that scene similarly ends with like just we cut to every single crew member's reactions for like a really long time like we really get to see them just looking like upset and horrified and, and grossed out for like a long time uh we see more of their faces than we do of the thing being autopsied um i think that that scene's brilliant um last thing uh, shot um when at near the end of the movie when the guy that had been in containment blows the fuse to shut down um power throughout the camp childs childs yeah um, the, the power goes down and you're looking at it from McCready's shed, which is sort of off and, and connected via a, uh, what, like, what do they call the wires? The, the, the guide wires. The guide, 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 yeah. lines, guide, guide wires. Um, and there are blue lights hanging off the guide wire. Um, as the lights go down, the blue light becomes the, the primary dominant light in the shot and it becomes the only thing you can see and it casts this, like, um, shadowy, almost negative quality over the entire scene, but you can, but while holding the one shot in real time, one light becomes another. That's an amazing shot. I was like, holy shit! There's uh, a lot of really great lighting in this movie. Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, cinematography and lighting in this movie is really good. Um, thing number four. Hi, lie. Oh my god! You're just, you you can't literally just like expounded upon your third point and took one of my. Yeah, things. you did a one point five thing. two, motherfucker. Uh, the set design's really good. Yeah. Okay. Does this mean I get two things because he had four? No, you can have five things. We have there to are four things in this room this right is now. Spreading. Oh my god! Pick as many things as what you do like. Things? But just all right. Keep them condensed. Can we get like a like a ping noise every time one of us says thing? <laughs> just like a thing, ping. <coughs> I'm making I a mark at that time idea. because I'm going to do it. Um, thing, <laughs> thing. Um, yeah. eh? uh, 
I'm making fun of you. Uh, <laughs> thing number it's all one, the same to me, baby. Thing number one, the um, the lead-in for this movie um, also transitions into a different kind of structure for this episode, where we're going to start with the beginning, uh, which <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> is wild avant-garde structure. Where yeah. we tar- start with the beginning. It's of like the some movie. freeform jazz shit. You know what I mean? It's like when you accidentally put in a, like an album you're playing on Spotify on shuffle, and you don't notice it until like three tracks. It's in. about the parts of the movies that you don't talk about. <laughs> you listen to albums on shuffle? No, like you accidentally, like you had oh. shuffle on from a playlist, and you're like, oh fuck, I'm That'll hearing the album out of order. That does fuck me up, especially if it's a new album you haven't listened to and it's yeah. like I don't even know what this album is anymore yeah all this the flow it's all gone and, and like your initial experience with it is ruined you yeah. can't go back and, and unring that I just because, yeah, because you'll CDs. then hear the part that it's fucked like up the, eventually yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway Cody keep Cody going. please oh cool thank you uh, the uh, the lead-in for this movie, the first thing we see, well, technically, like I said, the first thing we see is a shot from outer space. But then our first glimpse into this Arctic wasteland is this um, this dog, which I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, or one of the good dogs. Um, there's a very good dog who's running through the snow and is getting shot at by a, uh, a helicopter. We don't know it's a Norwegian helicopter, or Norwegians in the helicopter. I don't know where the helicopter was made. But um, I remember the first time watching um, the thing. Aaron, it may have been with you, like in my dorm room or something. Uh, or no, I, no, no. Uh, I was, no, sorry. I believe uh, we have. Did we not watch that? Well, because I was, um, so I, I was a year ahead of you. So I remember watching it in my freshman dorm. So maybe that wasn't Did Were you in Middlebrook? Nope. Oh, I, love I watched it in Middlebrook on the 7th floor, uh, like, Hangout gotcha. TV room. I remember watching it in Frontier. So maybe it was with others. I think I probably watched it with you. Before God, this. we're cool. We no, were in college around the same time <laughs> and pretty much together. That's cool. Yeah, I remember these two losers. The, I remember the first time watching it. I had never been so engrossed in a movie. Engrossed like, man. <clears throat> but, uh, mark the time down. Yeah, edit that uh, out. Uh, cut that out. Mark the time down. Thank you. Yep. Uh, Amplify it. Yep. <clears throat> All the momentum is gone. But I think that was such a great um, lead-in for for this movie. I don't know. That's just so bizarre. There are so many questions in that. Uh, and it's great because it's in the snow. It's really visible. You can see everything. Um, my second point would have been the lighting. I think the lighting is, is really uh, excellent. And it reminds me a lot of, uh, like, I in my head, not to anybody, because I don't talk about this movie with anybody except really you guys, but the, um, and Nick Grossman, Aaron, your brother, I think we've I've probably talked to him about the thing. He loves this movie. He's a big fan of this yeah, movie. He loves the thing. Shout out to Nick Grossman. Uh, this, I refer to the thing as, like, one of my favorite noirs, uh, because the lighting is very, um, it's very distinct uh, and creates loads of shadows um, we get that blue and orange light dichotomy, especially later on once the the power begins to shut down. We can begin to to see um, more of um, you know more distrust, and the the light is sort of a representation of that. You know, the cutting in and out of lightness and darkness. Um, so really like that. And then the third point, real quick, um, may maybe a top five top three set of hair in all <laughs> all of cinema um kurt russell he looks good oh, man. The, man. The, the hair and looks beard good. combo looks incredible it is wild he looks I, so good i went to the barber back when my hair was longer with that fo- with a photo of him and his sunglasses in the snow and i was like that's ballsy can, can you can you give me like something this that's gonna grow happened. up <laughs> no i literally I, I was like do you remember what he looked what kurt russell looked like in the thing and she was like i've never seen the thing i don't know who kurt russell is she was like five and then i and then yeah. I brought up a picture, and she's like, oh, yeah, like, we can – it'll take a long time, obviously. And I was like, let's 
and then I gave up on it. I, I yeah, I had a similar thing where I went to get a haircut and I just showed a picture of Fabio and I said, "What what can we do to make this happen to look like one of the most attractive people?" And then it didn't g- work out. They gave you the if you're trying to dunk on me, the I'm, ball. I'm is just deflated. saying the balls of showing a picture of Kurt Russell in the thing like. The dude is, he has locks. I didn't say make me look like Kurt Russell. I said the hair. Like, like I have straight wavy hair. He has straight wavy hair. You do have straight wavy hair. I do have straight wavy hair. Why aren't you doing a Kurt Russell? This is is as much as I can stand. Once my hair gets long enough, it starts to do that, like, Dutch boy swoop around my glasses. It's no Mine always did that, too. No bueno. Uh, Once in the late 90s, my mom brought a picture of Sailor Mercury from Sailor Moon to her stylist and tried to get her hair done that way. That's the sweetest thing I've ever heard. Did it work? Uh, I think so. Does she still do it? No. She just has it taped to the back of her phone. Yes, please. This again. That would be cool. Cody, you ever <laughs> brought a photo while getting a haircut? Nope. I've had the same haircut for nearly my whole that, life. Yeah, that's fine. I can't tell. That works. <laughs> I get like two, maybe three haircuts a year. Yeah. Uh, I, I just thought I that brought baby one grow. once and it was one of the most awkward experiences. I don't know why. I just was like, this Who is was horribly it? awkward. I was it like a really handsome guy so it didn't fit? Um... Yes, Jesus yeah, it totally Christ. was. It was like a great looking hair, and I was like, "This is clean looking hair." I'm like, "What do we do about this?" And she was like, uh, you, uh, first of all, your hair's not even that long, so you get wait plastic a few surgery." Come back. Yeah, yeah, work on it a little bit. I don't know. Uh, Sounds like uh, that was a thing that you didn't like from your life. Um, what were three things that you liked from the movie we just sure. watched? Um, yeah, I uh, I really like the score to this movie. Uh, again, it's like a cheap shot. It's, it's Ennio Morricone. It's a uh, you know he's. The best. What yeah. are you gonna say? Um, it was not well beloved at the time. Uh, the it was. Score? It was nominated for a Razzie the year uh, the thing came out. Oh, Wait, the whole movie or his? Ennio Morricone? The score, score was, was nominated yeah. for a Razzie. They, Hindsight's twenty twenty. Also, also criti- critical appraisal has always hated Ennio Morricone. Actually, yeah. he never won an Oscar. He won like a lifetime achievement Oscar. Did he win for the Hateful Eight? No, he was nominated. I want to say, but I don't. I think he might he have won. won for the Mission. Uh, but I'll look it up. Relative to the number yeah. of soundtracks that he did and how good the soundtracks are. Uh, I mean, I don't even love the Dollars trilogy anymore, really. But uh, As films or the As soundtracks? films. The soundtracks oh, are okay, all time. Yeah, okay, yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're great. They're so good. Yeah. Um, I, li- I like the score on this movie. It is uh, supposedly, you know, this is off Wikipedia, but supposedly uh, John Carpenter uh, showed him the score for uh, Escape from New York and said, like, this is kind of what my films have been like. Uh, he must have just said, fuck that shit, I'm going to make a good score. Not that the score to that movie's bad, but it has a, uh, a weight to it that I think um, really helps the movie out, and there's a lot of other things in the movie that aren't just the music that do the same thing, which I guess is my, my second thing. Uh, tonally, thing. I like how this movie is kind of all over the place, but it still kind of works. Like the shot you're talking about at the beginning uh, with the spaceship flying by, that is kind of a ballsy choice. I guess they, they didn't yeah. need to include it, right? Um, but it helps reinforce a lot of the, the sci-fi. Um, uh, you know, it helps reinforce the sci-fi feeling of the movie that I th- help. I think helps makes this movie um, feel like a little bit more than just another creature flick. Um, and there's a lot of other tunnel stuff too. We'll probably get to the uh, yeah, just the like they're random pockets of time when the movie is like really, really funny. Yeah, yeah, really funny. Like when he when he pours the fucking uh, uh, alcohol glass with ice cubes into the computer once it beats him at chess. Like that doesn't make any sense, but it's like it's nice. You know, I don't know. I really like it. Yeah, the the like pulp levels of masculine toxicity that the first act establish work really well and are in in and of themselves sort of subversive when you consider that ostensibly that's supposed to be the ordinary world and we're supposed to get an under come away with an understanding that these technicians scientists uh helicopter pilots are like 
relatively ordinary people or like relative people in possession of their higher faculties and that's supposed to be something that erodes over the course of the movie that is not the impression you get from these people who are already beside themselves stir crazy regressed i mean this this movie opens like the beginning of the master do you remember that movie where like it's a bunch of like shipwrecked sailors on an island who are like fucking sand and stuff sorry we we can put a content warning and stuff that's what that reminded me of is that like like these people are already like at their wits end they didn't need much pushing to go fully batshit yeah, that's uh, that would be my third thing, and that I think um, uh, so. The the writer of this movie uh, is uh, Bill Lancaster. Wrote this with John Carpenter. Uh, Bill Lancaster was an actor and an American screenwriter. He I think mainly was known for this movie, and then he wrote uh, one or two of the Bad News Bears films. Hmm. Um, so you don't know, yeah, you know, that's impressive. Yeah. yeah, if you're gonna have a few films, those aren't like the worst ones to have. Um, but I think the the character work is really good in this. It does. This movie does a great job of, of establishing character motivations and kind of pitting them against each other. And there's a lot of really interesting scenes where two people will be arguing about something and the shot will be framed, kind of in front of the shot will be a character that's just like slowly opening a switchblade while these two people are arguing. It does a good job of kind of building up this tension and it works because all these characters are uh, pretty pretty different, mm-hmm. uh, have different attitudes, want different uh, things. Et that's interesting. I, yeah, okay. I, which is Harry's code for you're wrong. Oh, I I don't I, agree with that at all. I I gotta say no, I'm, 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 I'm feeling some friction with that. Uh, I'll get to my three things later, but like the point of what you were just saying doesn't jive with me because the movie I think to Harry's point sets up like the toxicity of these people. The like they're ready to bust just about to borrow a phrase <laughs> from, from the Mr. Case of Miller. Mrs. Miller. Thank you. <laughs> oh wow, what a great yeah. line. Uh, Put a content warning at the beginning of this one. <laughs> Uh, and and then something snaps, and they all—it's just chaos from the very beginning. Like there's 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 a sense of order every now and then that just erodes very very quickly. I don't think that there's much in the way of like character development that's supposed to mean much and go anywhere because it like it it, it completely dissolves in the face of like not the slightest provocation. Like an alien bringing your dead friend back to life is not a slight provocation, but just this otherworldly thing that they cannot perceive control or 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 you know anticipate yeah throws everything into into disarray and character motivation doesn't matter it's just a matter of objective truth uh trying to well quote unquote objective truth but trying to like uh interrogate and figure out who's like allegiances i guess characters don't matter much i uh yeah i don't i don't think many of these people are are great characters if any of them but i do think each and every person that's at this base gets uh gets built up enough to where we know like their their physical tics we know their like what they're they're likely to react to we know that that palmer is kind of often has friction with people like windows we know the type of reactions to expect from these people so that come you know act two act three we know what we should be looking for um so like we we can like detect that something is is off um and i think part of the the point of the movie is um and yeah not to derail from you know we'll get to to your points too jason but like the um the idea that these men at this base um are they're they don't have the capacity to know and understand each other um and Mm. that kind of flows through to us as well we don't really know these people um but we know their kind of base 
their base motivations. They're really like their their primal instincts and the things that we see on the surface, and that's what what the the thing, the titular thing, is here to to usurp. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm gonna do some Aristotelian metaphysics here because we had. Aaron's thesis. We just presented the antithesis. I'm not watering it down. This is a synthesis. I'm doing something very cool here. It's not just me trying to reconcile between arguments. Which like is exactly idiot. what you need to say uh, before doing something yes, cool. Exactly. There's got to be some cool music um, we can play. So I think that I think that I I understand where Aaron's coming from now, um, and and you guys helped with that. Um, I think that that character work can be distinct from characterization especially when it comes to physical acting. I think that all of the physical actors in this movie are really good. Um, and I, I think that they're given a lot to do in the frame of the camera. And I, I think that the way that that character work and that sort of physical physicality first acting characterizes and frames the movie is really important to what you guys were saying in the antithesis. <laughs> uh, and that is that, that these, these men, to me, are like almost animals first. You know what I mean? Like, like we're given so little about the interiority of any of these characters and so much about the exteriority of these characters. Mm-hmm. And the thing literalizes that, right? Like, it is about making the internal external in the most fr- hideous way possible. And in classical body horror terms, reminding you that you are actually a pulpy mass of flesh and organ. Um, and so it's really interesting how these these men are given so little to do within their own heads and so much to do outside and this movie's obsession with physicality and rule setting and boundaries and uh, the relations of physical relations between men in terms of uh, stature and um, imposition uh, and I think that that's the sort of meeting place between our respective points right is that like there's there's an interesting sense in which these characters do feel important but they're like materially important as yeah. opposed to it's so sort of like we talked about an alien how these characters the characters in alien the characters in thing they're not characterized particularly deeply but they're doing something else with the like the bodies mm-hmm. in in camera and like these people can stand for something and don't necessarily need to be characterized such that I don't think it's a problem for the thing that these people aren't characterized right you you wouldn't call that a weakness right you don't you don't get the sense that these people work very well together generally and you're not given any evidence for the fact that they they're are. not professional for the most part there's like one or two but for the most part they're just well, like, kind of the dudes. doctor knows what he's doing when he's yeah. fishing around inside of this you know hunk of flesh uh mccready knows how to fly through a storm and i guess childs knows how to use a flamethrower and i forget who it was but, but, the but guy even, even when they're performing their professional Cook. functions it's with extreme tension right? right that's what i mean it's like there's a lot of friction between these characters even before there's something that's going to like that, that's going to turn them against each other friction's a great keyword for this whole movie i think heat friction yeah uh i really Sorry? heat fire kills it should we talk about homoeroticism in the thing uh, yes, we construct intricate rituals <laughs> to touch the skin of other men. Uh, this is a point you should probably lead since you're since you brought it up. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that this is a this is a movie with a lot to say about toxic masculinity um, in general, <clears throat> and homoeroticism in the thing is something that scholars have written about quite a bit. Um, 
that there's a section on it in Wikipedia that get, goes to show oh, how. Oh, in the thing? For You mean yes. in the thing's Wikipedia? <laughs> We're doing a who's on first thing right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, in the things Wikipedia, um, there's a thematic analysis section. Uh, part of that talks about how it's possible to read the paranoia and fear um, of the thing in sexual terms. Um, men fearful of um, homosexuals in their ranks. Uh, it's sort of like the alien in and that sense where penetration and subsumment uh, are sexual metaphors. Um, in this case sexual metaphors about men uh, penetrating and becoming one another. Or that you might be one. Yes. Right? And, and right. having like s- some transformative process take place where something that looks like you comes out of that process. But something right? that you don't recognize. I'm not, yeah. I can't speak to the homosexual like mindset. I don't know. Like I'm not. Yeah. Sounds really homo, uh, homophobic of me, but like again, I'm not the best. I'm not a scholar of right. homoerotic yeah. uh, homo- themes in movies. Of, but yeah, it, yeah, queer once, film theory. Right. When you start are. looking at it through that lens, there's a lot that comes to the surface. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that dovetails really well with the the movie's larger ideas about masculinity as something that is about creating um, barriers between people um, and why we do that and what it to what end it works and how it destroys us, right? I mean, like, this is this is a movie about paranoia, and it's about men who destroy one another because they won't trust each other uh, and because they deny each other's um, interiority because they, it, they're they fearful that it doesn't look like theirs. Um, and that's sort of foregrounded by the xenophobia early in the movie where the Norwegians are speaking um, Norwegian, and so they can't be understood, and so they're killed uh and um our big like alpha male hero mccready calls them swedes after they kill them right right um multiple one times of, one of mccready's first lines is uh slur he uses he calls the computer a b-word and that's after he loses in chess to the computer and so he destroys the computer because rather than being beaten he would rather just destroy the entire game that's some good foreshadowing for what happens at the end of this movie yeah i mean the beginning of this movie is all like competition between men uh like unable to comprehend with the thought of like losing a competition and like mccready's response to that just like just you know destroying the opponent uh and then gun violence um and like that's what that's their palette to work off of and right i think you're the way like that reading plays into it i think creates some really interesting conclusions yeah there's there's there are moments of clarity in the near the middle of the movie with the blood interrogation scene <clears throat> but near by the end do you think that there is any trust between i guess childs and spoiler alert childs and mccready are the only ones left alive uh, that we know of and do you think there's trust between them at that point or are they still i really like that scene the last scene in this movie is very good it is i think I read it as distrust, and I've seen other readings of it, too. Um, I'm going to maybe do the, the first thing, or uh, the, the first Bing. time this has ever happened. Um, thing. Uh, yeah. Where um, I'm going to be the one to bring up video games. What? So there's a... Holy a, shit! There's a, a video game for the thing, and I'm looking for... Uh, I'm scrolling through Wikipedia to try and find the, the hyperlink. I want to say it came out in 2002. 2011. What? That's the the prequel movie. 
Pre, that was a prequel film. Okay, you're right. Tell I, I think, about I a movie. Two, okay, that was for the original Xbox, I want to say. So, yeah, you would have okay. definitely been right. Yes. 2002, uh, yes. Yeah, the, the vi- that video game, uh, the only thing that drew me to it was um, because the ending, I think, at this, at this point is pretty famous. It's um, brilliantly uh, ambiguous. Um, and one thing, thing that uh, stood out to me is that the game, I believe, begins with... Um, uh, McCready being alive uh, and Childs having frozen to death. Um, hmm. So I guess I guess the conclusion that they that neither of them were the thing. Um, and this specific bit is from IMDb trivia. I had trouble locating uh, an additional source by the time uh, we started recording, but apparently John Carpenter is on record saying that that is canon. Which, which I think is kind of the weird. video game. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. Same Ridley Scott neither, thing. Neither of them are. Yeah, the that, like the things that, that the events that take place in the video game yeah, are. It's, are, the, it's are the Blade Runner thing. Like, ah, shut mm. up. Also, yeah, there's, right. there's yeah. like a there's like a pretty long history of uh, retcon of film director with specific yes retconning, but specifically film directors in order to drum up publicity for yeah. a video game being like this is canon. Totally. George Lucas said that everything that happened in The Force Unleashed is canon, mm. which is fucking ridiculous. If you played that video game, I have yeah. not, but uh, I assume it take some liberties which is yeah which is also why like here's a weird intersection but like uh the the sort of like fictional canon is not something that anybody owns it belongs to you it's the thing that you want it to be the thing that you want it to be so i i reject anyway um temple of doom and substitute instead emperor's tomb and you have the right to do that. Thank you. It's a weird choice, but yeah, go ahead. Hey. Uh, what are the three things you like about this movie, Jason? The three you things that I'm far away from that. I apologize. That's okay. So you're from uh, the producer of the podcast. Jason uh, edits these episodes. Uh, we are very gracious for that. Shout out to Jason. We are um, very you're gracious on the pod. for that. Yeah, grateful. I don't know. That's really cool. It's cool uh, that he does. He that. appreciates your grace. Your grace. I. Yeah. The three things that I really like about this movie. Pretty it's specific. Three, yeah. I tried to be as specific as I could. Because I know that I'm not going to have any new takes about this movie. It's 30-some years old, and I'm not going to have anything to say about it that ain't been said before. I really, really liked the uh, scene where the uh, – is it a Malamute or a Husky or whatever? The, the dog is in the compound, in the camp, and is, like, slowly walking down a hall, and there's a tracking shot with him or her with the dog. Uh, and it's, like, a dolly shot just following. And this dog, like, is such a good actor that it looks inside of a door – considers whether or not to go in the door, calmly walks past the door. Some phenomenal dog acting in this movie. Just wildly, like, better than some of the humans act in this movie. Uh, I really, really love that shot because my jaw is just on the floor that this dog is that well-behaved. That is definitely, that's, like, one of my favorite shots in any movie, for sure. And, like, how, like, visually, like, pivotal it is to everything that follows. Well, the longer you're looking at a dog, the more, it's like the Uncanny Valley in a movie. Like, you expect the dog to do something like, uh, start painting or mm-hmm. smile or like like it's jobs or something something that dogs do this dog doesn't do that this dog acts like a fucking human and it's yeah. fucking insane uh, I really loved that I really loved the intro title sequence um, and the music in it uh, when I ever since I first watched um, Halloween in film class in college I've been listening to music in John Carpenter movies because mm-hmm. he likes to try and imbue them with some I mean he and you know his composers try to imbue them with some kind of meaning some sort of like layering uh, and the intro to this movie is just like a slow drone that comes up to an octave that is then like an open, super ambiguous fifth that then has like some warbling tones underneath of it that slowly like turns into this cacophony and then right back to a big open droning octave. And to me, that's like just slightly a, like 
little signs, little signs of the uh, of the facade cracking, like some familiarity with the, like the sound that you're hearing, but just something doesn't sound right, and that's like something's not right with with the people in this movie. They're, you know, they start to change little, by degrees, and like little warning signs, and then finally a cacophony when maybe like a person reveals themselves, and then flatness again. The, the music mechanically and uh, thematically reflects and recreates the plot arc of the movie and like the general pacing of the movie right that's another thing it's a larger thing that i really like um there's another very specific thing that i really like but one of the larger things i really like about this movie is the pacing because uh, a lot of horror is like obviously crescendo decrescendo crescendo climax and then end uh but in this movie it's like very sudden climaxes that then, like, you tail off with the, like, real impact of that, of what just happened. Like, somebody has to decide, what do we do about, like, any of these seven or eight people who could be a monster? Uh, we lock away the doctor, who maybe is the one who knows most about this, but we kind of have to do that because we can't trust him. That's an excellent point, that, that the action in this movie is punctuation, and the fallout following that action is the real content of the movie. I think that's why I like it so much and why it's, you know, it gets off to a really quick start. Uh, and we don't spend much time with the characters before, like, they're forced to deal with this really weird thing. Uh, but, yeah, it's not a series of, like, you know, get to know what their life is like now and then how this thing disrupts it. It's like this thing is, is already part of the story. And, like, we're following them as they discover that it is already part of an ongoing story. Yeah. It really, like, we can dive into that more, but I want to get to my last. For sure. A uh, uh, quick question for you. I know we've talked about um, the podcast Song Exploder, which probably weird to plug a podcast on yeah. the podcast. But um, please, did uh, when the most recent Halloween came out, um, did you listen to that episode with I John did. Carpenter? That, that was is pretty great, right? It is a really good episode. And it's it kind so of, cool it that they of, did that. It is, and I think was it his son who helped him yeah. like arrange uh, it for this one? Was it? Yeah, I, I think it was his I son. I think it was who, another carpenter. Yeah, uh, who helped him like arrange the new theme, right. which isn't way too different, but it has some different orchestration yeah. and different sounds, uh, and it, that's like playing into my reading of John Carpenter's music awesome. and like music that he had a hand. I'm sure that yeah. like Ennio Morricone is Morricone is the uh, composer here, but yeah. I'm sure that he, that Carpenter as a musician had some influence, had some like direction there. Um, the thing that I, uh, the third thing, thing that I really like very, very specifically is the, um, the sound design of when the hot copper wire touches the blood and nothing happens because it's such like a deflating sound like there's no other music in that scene and it's just like your muscles tensing about what's going to happen when this heated rod touches the blood uh, oh I thought that was a laugh <laughs> uh, and then it's just like this small it's like air being let out of a balloon it's, it's so like it's it's, oh, it's almost like it's so shameful it's almost frustrating yeah right because you expect like a big boom or you expect something scary and then it's just like oh it's just a wet fart yeah. in the wind it was also tactic tact tactily tactily upsetting to me um mm. i really hate the sound of scraping wire on glass oh, it was just like, hard it's to say because, because it's that first yeah. sound and then it's like oh it's rough i love that so much yeah. it's so disgustingly uncomfortable and i think jason might be the thing you guys <laughs> i can't imagine anybody liking that sound i don't yeah. know i really i really love that sound um those are the three things that i really specifically things. like about this movie but it sounded like maybe we wanted to talk about the plot structure and pacing a little bit did either of you cody or aaron have anything to say about that <coughs> harry and i were vibing a did, little bit did the score it. the score really quick did the uh, maybe nobody knows this i don't know did uh Marconi reuse elements of the score for the hateful eight 
or unused bits of the score for this movie, I believe. I want to say that he did. I wouldn't be surprised. From what I remember of The Hateful Eight, uh, it like had some of the same tones. Sometimes just very Is one of the eight the thing? Is that the <gasps> plot of The Hateful Eight? Well, this movie... I mean, some the, level, the Hateful yes. Eight is definitely The Hateful Eight also inspired. ends with a white man and a black man being the last survivors, but they're killing a woman. No, I mean, that is, that is... that is I think Tarantino has even said that like the, it was very much inspired by the thing. Um, I believe it. Yeah. Believe it. Well, they have guide wires. That's the first place I saw guide wires in. I watched this movie for reference. I watched the thing like a year and a half ago for the first time. Oh, oh really? I'm super late to the John Carpenter game, yeah. but my uh, wonderful f- former co-worker, Logan, lent me his Blu-ray, and I watched it twice in a night because it's that You watched it good. twice in a night? I watched it twice in a I night. I don't think I've ever... W- uh, except when I was Mononoke. a kid. Mononoke. Mononoke when I was a kid. But like since I've been like above the age of 15, I don't think I've ever watched a movie and just immediately watched it. Well, it's a weird judgment energy. No, it's not a judgment. No, 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 no. I just I, don't think I, I've ever done I'm it. I'm with you. Like, it's I a hard just, sell. Yeah. I really like this movie enough, and I knew that it was going to be a movie that I would like want to be able to remember. I think and it's if a I movie did, you can point to a, stuff while you're watching it again. Sure. Yeah. If I see a movie once, I'll forget everything about it in three months. I will forget almost ever seeing it. If I see it a second time or even like slant see it like it's playing in the background while I'm doing something else it reifies it or so if you see it once it. and then record a podcast on it then you all of a I sudden will, remember it way better I will never forget Cure and like this best parts of Cure because Thank God. <laughs> yeah because of listen to our episode of Cure if you haven't yet uh, that movie rules we all love it way to watch Cure first I guess I don't know subscribe to Criter- Criterion channel yeah. or is it also it if, it's it's if you want to yeah it's on YouTube I mean that's not stealing if it's oh yeah uh, have we run out of things to say about the thing? No, I, don't I have a lot, of, okay. a lot of things to let, say about I, the thing. Unless, unless Cody or Aaron has anything to let fly. Yeah, I, wanna, go for it. I wanna talk about the fear of this movie. Um, whenever there's a monster movie, I like to talk about what fear it's evoking. Um, this one does a lot at once. We talked about homoeroticism in the thing. We talked about paranoia. Um, specifically, I think the intersection between paranoia and masculinity, and how masculinity is all about creating um differentiating factors between yourself and others and how that intersects with xenophobia um there's not much racism in this movie there's some light racism in the sense that childs is considered too hot-blooded to take command and so they give it to mccready um which is um Convenient it, it for the treaty. Yeah. Uh, and there's some xenophobia in the form of the Swedes and, and Norwegian people. Um, it's surprising that there's not more, um, given that I think it had it would have thematic resonance. But I am never going to complain about there not being very much racism in movies. Yeah, that's good. Um, it's good. To, it's good to not be racist. Um, Change.org petition. Put more racism in the thing. But I um, also really like the thing as as a metaphor about the the fear of um, physical inhabitants and how being a, f- a physical being um, being a physical being is uh, in tension and in co- our competition with being a higher being quote unquote um, at all times I think this is a movie that like starkly reminded me of that um, from the very first uh, moment of this movie physicality and the physical operations of the human body are foregrounded um, these are these are men who are essentially stranded in Antarctica and when you're stranded the physical realities of your body are foregrounded in a way that they aren't any other time so these these are people who are very concerned about their meals very concerned about uh, 
alcohol consumption. Um, staying warm is a constant threat in this movie, and these are like these are real physical material fears. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it makes sense then that the thing is such an overwhelmingly physical threat. It's about literalizing the fear of your body, of your um, physical existence, because it's a thing that is literally just that. Like it lives only to survive, and it transforms um, in grotesque physical ways. Um, and it it is about um, taking what was a thinking, feeling thing and assimilating it into something that is a biological process and only a biological process. That's what it does. There's a really funny, really um, hammy computer scene where you see the cells <laughs> of the thing literally taking over dog cells. Um, it was like a video game that the doctor, like pr- I guess, programmed. It's very yeah. 80s. Uh, um, Alien yeah. did the same thing, where yeah. like it shows that, that they have like a mother computer, I guess, and it's like probability that someone is already infected 75%. That is at least like a weird future sci-fi thing. Like, yeah. I buy that a lot more, I guess. But this isn't supposed to be the future, is it? No, in the thing? No, that's why it's worse. Your yeah. phone can tell you how many calories you have left in a day, Aaron. Because yeah, I manually... In 1982? Yeah, also in 1982. If you really. called somebody who knew yeah yeah, I guess that that it's kind of interesting that the you know for all the talk of the monster you know kind of stoking these these paranoias I think a lot of the ways in which it it threatens the people on this you know this this research laboratory are you know it the circumstances that it puts them in challenge their kind of base level needs right like not freeze I don't want to freeze to death I, there's even like a specific line where where one of the characters says to McCready, you know, hey, if this thing can just like infect us with one cell, we should probably prepare our own food. We should probably eat out of cans. There's a um, lot of there's like constant rulemaking and yeah. return to rulemaking yeah. and return to um, the the literal mechanics of survival. Yeah, and I I think just to, to kind of touch upon uh, uh, just the the idea of like masculinity. Um, being, you know, I think it's natural to read this movie as a maybe a critique of masculinity, or at least like a, a deep dive into that subject. I guess one thing that kind of conflicts with that with me a little bit is that I think a lot of the decisions people make in this movie are arguable, at least, right? Like it's it's not people, uh, you know, going to extreme lengths due to the situation they're in. A lot of the times, like I think I would react in a pretty similar way in a lot of I mean, those circumstances, this- right? Like the way that the alien fucks people up is by you know taking the body of another and it's like I guess I don't know what I would do in that situation. So an interesting thing that the movie never makes clear but I think pointedly works is we don't know what sort of mental faculties the thing has. Yeah, That's was, never made yeah, clear I was about and they're to say. never interested in it. Yeah. There's a there's a point uh, very pointedly in, the, in like the very middle of the movie where somebody says if I was a duplicate, a perfect duplicate, uh how would you know I wasn't the the thing? Uh, and I was expecting the literal, like, like after school sort of, like, ask me something only I What's would know. What's your mom's name? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes, they I thought that and too. They don't <laughs> fucking do that. Instead, they're like, well, we'll come up with some kind of fucking experiment, computer experiment that'll that'll tell us. Man. And it's like, hey, like, do these guys not know anything about each I other? Was about, I was about to say, I think... I think that's what it's implying. Is yeah, that, like they are just like and like barely working. To me, that's that's where the critique yeah. operates, right? It's the idea that that these are people who are so uninterested in each other as anything except for 
if not competition, then annoyance. I think that's part. That's an uh, like a sub flavor of the fear that this creature inspires. Yeah. The fear of needing to like communicate and cooperate with one another. Like the process, other than like the act of competition. Like at the beginning, everybody is pretty well in their own worlds. People are like wearing. Um, headphones, people are, are isolated in their own rooms and like throughout the movie they people do what they can to, to skirt around that the, the types of like choices people make like they're not 100% the best decisions I think more importantly or like more significantly they're decisions that are like rashly made and made by one person without like taking into consideration like the viewpoints about like there are no like group discussions until the end really when they decide yeah. to to blow the place They're up. They're also extremely um threatening physically and fascist fascistic in the sense sure. that they appoint one leader and that leader is supposed to have absolute authority usually yeah. on threat of violence. Yeah. Yeah. Um I guess you know the again there's like I, I want to agree with that. I think I even do agree with that uh, for the most part. I, th- I think, I think I, there's enough to there's enough to give the the audience the sense that the alien does have a certain level of intelligence. Um, maybe not in the same manner that a person does, mm-hmm. right? But like, you see a fucking spaceship at the beginning, right? Like, there's well, a lot of assumptions behind a thing crashing right. a spaceship. It seems to conveniently play with, but within reason, the idea that the thing has both access to the personal traits uh, and yep. mental faculties of the human that it's inhabiting and like free will as well to like build a spaceship underground or I, to I think deceive his you know his is your workmates it also like it does my my favorite sort of sorry to be me uh, but like my favorite modernism thing where it's 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 not about how it raises the intelligence of the alien. It's about how it it lowers our understanding of human intelligence, where I think the thing that the thing is asking is, like, is it that difficult to impersonate any of these people? Like, if even if, irregardless of its, its actual interiority and its intelligence, what interiority have we seen here? I mean, like, would it be that hard to burp and grunt and drink alcohol and, and act like Kurt Russell? <laughs> maybe not. I mean, like, maybe hey, that's... You try it, buddy. I, I mean, you know, like all you need to do is Jason bring it. I need to stay up for a couple more ago. hours and get kind of drunk, and I think I'm there. <laughs> uh, but so, th- so that's an interesting aspect, right? Um, and I also another thing I really love about this movie is setting it in Antarctica. This movie like feels cold, and coldness is such a foregrounder of the physicality that this movie's going for in a way that no other environment would be. Because like when you're cold you're not thinking about anything else, right? Like, yeah. And it, it really, really alters the way that your mind works and the way that your priority systems work. It's like, it's not about who you are as a person. It's about who you are as a body. And like all of these people are thinking about who they are as bodies all the time. Only more so when it turns out that they might be shape-shifting, crazy body, like yeah. uh, meat Things. Puppets. Um, what do you, and yeah, I, things. I think that that's that's the real brilliance of this, right? Is that not only does it have, um, in in amazing, uh, arguably second to none practical effects at its core, but it finds a way to justify those. I mean, like I really think, and I went back and forth on this. I don't love this movie the way that Jason does, um, but. I think that it it ultimately works to and succeeds at justifying why this craziness has to happen. And it's because the movie spends so much time fascinated with the idea of physicality and physicality's Mm -hmm. tension with our higher sort of um, 
judgments and ability to be higher thinking. Um, this this movie is is really about creating the fear that maybe like society does fall apart and maybe who you are as a person does fall apart the moment your body is threatened and if that's true then what does that say about who we are and humans in general right? yeah like we are bound by our flesh right no matter right. how solipsistic we are no matter what philosophies we devise we can't operate beyond like eight there is a number <laughs> for how like much we can do with our bodies right exactly yeah, yeah i think that's that's a big tension um that this movie is playing with um, I think that's that's kind of tying into that. Real quickly, uh, the practical effects here, which are, you know, I think spectacular. Bomba. I think we probably all agree. Yeah, I that. said arguably yeah. second to none, right? Yeah. Like, I can't think of a movie that does it more. Like, it's maximalist yeah. in a way that a lot of movies would be fearful to be. But uh, it, it also, just in terms of pacing and in terms of deliverance, um, is pretty perfect. Spect- yeah, it's spectacular. Yeah. That is due to uh, Rob Botton, who is the kind of guy who designed the practical effects for this film they spent 1.5 million dollars on it i believe it um and it shows i think originally the film was not supposed to show the thing as much as it did and i think that carpenter got convinced to start showing it more to make it more physical <laughs> right show me where my million five went yeah I, uh, and I, I don't even think like it's sh- like it's not overdone i don't no. i don't think by any means yeah but it's, like it's perfect it's weird to, yeah it's weird to think how little it would have been shown in previous well, drafts. It's, it's like it's not overdone because this movie is like trash, right? Like, and I don't mean that in like the like derogatory sense. I mean like literally, like this is like a midnight pulp. Mo- like it's navigating that, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what it's going for. Yeah. And I think that the fact that it can do that and still and like I'm not saying that that does that means it doesn't des- deserve to be evaluated the way we're evaluating it. I'm literally saying that like. It, it constructs a genre to be able to get away with that, and then it gets away with that, and it uses it to uh, foreground these larger themes that we've been discussing. Right. So it's great for that, right? I mean, uh, yeah. I like the way that the, the monster, you know, the thing is shown quite a bit, but it is never shown from such a distance. or that You know, you never get, like, a full picture of it. You're always focused on certain specific body parts. Like the scene you were talking about earlier with the autopsy, where they're cutting it open. Um, you know, it is like an alien life form, but even at the end of that scene, you're like, wait, what the fuck was Was that his arm? Like, yeah. this, this weird thing sticking out. What was that? Where did that? he find his colon? And that, yeah. that is made narratively explicit, right, when they say that, that each individual part of the thing is itself a thing. It's an organism. And, like, there's some suggestion that this thing can mutate and morph into whatever shape it wants, but also, like each individual part of it can just mutate. Like, there's mm-hmm. not... It's rhizomatic, right? Like, there's not there's not an up or down, and there's not, like, a central intelligence to it. It just is. At like, one point, we it see will blood explode on the floor and, yeah. that, is, that is actually crawling yeah. back. Right. Even the blood is uh, sentient, if yeah. not sapient. Um, <laughs> and I really love that, too, because, like, that's also... That is also, like, a refutation of the theory of the centralization of the body, right? Like, the idea that, like, we think that we're all a whole. Like, mm-hmm. that our bodies are, like, my mind, my brain, my body is united in the soul, right? Whereas this is like, no, like, your arm is a is a piece of meat, like, your leg is a piece of meat, like, there's not, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's like, like, decentralizing the notion of the body as united that way is a great way to critique or refute the notion that our minds, ourselves, are united uh, and 
in simpatico with our physical environs um, in a in a really scary way, right? Like it's upsetting to think like, oh, like you are like the processes of your body are not necessarily united and mm-hmm. and don't really have you in mind at all. <laughs> um, I think I think I disagree. And well, I don't know. It's kind of similar. I think it's it's more that we are our body and our minds are for the most part with how we interact one function and the, the a lot of the terror at least in the scene especially where the the scene where the head the there's a scene where one of the guys gets killed they're they're he's, he has a heart attack heart attack in air quotes uh and they're giving him the old uh you know, shock there and it just goes into his chest his chest then grows teeth bites the guy's arms yeah. off uh and then his head like kind of falls off and crawls away as a spider um i think a lot of the fear there is the idea that like we operate this way right and this is a similar looking thing that is just ruining all our assumptions about ourselves yeah absolutely but yeah. but like you're right in that that we need to have that assumption right like yeah, of yeah, course yes. we take it as a given that that our bodies work this way that that our bodies are sort of united in function and form and yeah. and speak toward or are built to- with us in mind are sort of our ours to pilot um right and that's what the fear yeah. where the fear comes from that it's like hey what if that wasn't true at all yeah um, like can you imagine what it feels like to be missing an arm no you can't like you've always had one yeah i i think that um i think that that's part of when i talked about kind of the the you know the, the little subtle stuff that this film does that makes it feel much larger than just a kind of like a, a monster movie. I think it is stuff like that. Like that is really good sci-fi. Um, you know, I, I I brought this up talking about a another movie that's on another podcast we'd recorded about the short story "They're Made of Meat," which is about it's a discussion between two aliens that are 100% like sound wave based, and they just have a conversation about humans and just saying like dude they're fucking made of meat isn't that fucking weird and uh, I think a lot of the good sci-fi in this movie is about challenging our assumptions of our physical bodies and that's that's good shit right like they could have yeah. made this movie with just like you know a fucking troll creature I mean, and that's or whatever what body but it's not like that at all, all about right yeah. is like, cent- like centering and making you uncomfortably aware of your body uh, this movie doesn't do that for me as much as some, but I definitely still was like, wow, I can, like, feel the blood in my veins right now. Yeah. And, like, I can hear the creaking of my bones. And, like, <laughs> oh, I feel uncomfortably here right now. Um, and and extrapolated also to the, the mental and emotional, right? Like, like the idea that, that if those things are all true, then, then what if similarly our mental and emotional functions don't operate the way that we think that they do yeah. that that we're maybe not as in control of them as we think we are um and then extrapolating that even further out to the paranoia um which dovetails with the masculinity really well which is already um others denying by its nature but it, it's suggesting that like if we don't know if there's that sort of veil between us and other people and if if we can't be sure that they're operating the same way that we are we can't be sure that they're as human as we are. And that's where dehumanization happens, right? Is that, like, if there's the suggestion that these people don't think the way we do or feel the way we do, then there's the suggestion that they're not as human as we are. Yeah. Um, And that's that's what ends up happening to the crew members here. Um, And it's it's aided by the the notion that these people are already looking for reasons to distrust each other um, because of the way that their masculinity is operating, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it puts those 
I think it, it, it sort of similar to the thing we talked about with Alien, um, it really leverages genre um, and the effect of genre toward a pointed and um, and uh, well-considered end, I think. Um, this, is a, this is a good movie, guys. It's a good movie. It's a good fucking movie. Yeah, Cody, you're looking in your notebook. You got. I want. I want there to be a section for scraps. I want there to be a section of this show where we just ask Cody to talk about one of the notes that he wrote while watching the it's movie. It's a great. Cody has a notebook. Cody's noties. Oh, oh, that's good. Why? Theme song. Cody's noties. Uh, it's time for Cody's noties. Thank Cody, you. Thank you. What's well, your fact? Welcome back to another uh, another <gasps> segment uh, oh called God, Cody's noties. Oh uh, thank you. Thank you. Woo! Uh, been, been Cody, wonderful. Cody, uh, no, these. I hate this. Uh, I think I spotted a Coors Banquet. Uh, I wanted to There's shout out co- Coors uh, Banquet. Is it just a normal Coors or it is a banquet? Uh, it's it, got the classic can. Yeah, it's got the classic can, yep. which maybe just made me default to Coors Banquet. Uh, might, let's say Banquet. I like oh, Banquet oh, better. Let's Coors say Banquet. banquet. Uh, shout out to Kyle Wilson. He likes Coors Banquet. It's a good beer. It's a um, beer. It's no Miller High Life. But. Uh, one, um, one line I forgot I love from this movie. Uh, we, uh, we've been talking about a lot uh, of things here. Um, and one thing that we've maybe kind of danced around, or I don't have just haven't really been talking a lot about because it's in my mind, not as important, just like the, the classic moments of like, I'm watching a horror movie, like those, Oh shit moments. Um, I think my favorite one in this movie is, uh, when, uh, it is, uh, uh, McCready Knowles and, um, I forget who else is out there. Um, but they're all outside. They're trying to track down Fuchs, uh, the guy who was like, oh, we need to prepare our own meals and, and do this and do this, kind of setting the rules. And uh, the, McCready just kind of looks off and he's like, hey, this is what we're going to do. Um, you go that way. Nalls and I are going to go uh, you know, to my shed. And somebody was like, you know, oh, well, or not, why are we going to do that? It's because when I left my place yesterday, I turned the lights out. And it's just like, oh, oh that's fuck. A, and then that's they, and they, yeah. they <laughs> cut to the shack and the lights out. Oh, man. That's, uh, in that, general, give me chills. Um, the way that the movie uses its physical space uh in that that rule setting and in constant um return to um room setup and location to um elevate tension is really fantastic um the very first shot we see of the rec room is great and we get a really great sense of and this is like classic good horror movie writing right but like we we get a really good sense of the physicality of where we are the place we're inhabiting it's a single set movie we get to know it's every corridor and it's every room really well yeah yep and um i know i've said this on previous episodes but one thing that uh, i dig a lot is in horror movies but also any movie where we're exploring the space that we're about to inhabit like all the the key areas the rec room um there's shots of the quarters kind of bookending this movie um near the end i think there was a shot uh like maybe we're supposed to think that we're looking from blair's perspective he like looks down the corridor there may have been another shot of the rec room um but just like treating these spaces somewhat as their own characters or at least just highlighting them as important um i think it's important to know where the me as a viewer to know like where i am i feel like i could map out every inch of that complex if you like put a gun to my head uh so that's like a really great thing and i will and have oh shit you're are you the the thing thing, cody uh i'm thing wouldn't use a gun we did the blood test we're all fine okay um where are we (laughs) we've uh i'll 
pivot because I maybe we do this more often. Um, uh, we've talked about other works that oh, the sure. thing reminded me of. Um, uh, Hateful Eight came up. Was there anything yeah, else that any? One. Yeah, anybody else like would maybe want to recommend or at least things that like the thing things. made them. Yeah, the thing made them think of or vice versa. I'm always reminded of Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say Alien, and that's the same fucking thing. I, I, was, I was also going to say Alien. I mean, yeah. it came out, what, Were you three actually years? reminded of Bad Max? For no. Okay, uh, I don't know. I just don't let know. me have a bed. It's the only oh, okay. movie in his MySpace Top 8 or his Letterbox Top My 4 or whatever. Top eight. Yeah. Whoa. Blast from the past. Yeah. Um, I wish I had a better answer for this. I can I can go if you want time to think. Um, this is a slight you know, six degrees of separation thing, but um, you know this movie... Hateful Eight, and then one movie that Hateful Eight, I think, has a really strong connection to, and uh, the thing maybe connected with his wall is called Dragon Inn. came out in 1967. Um, I recently picked it up from a Criterion sale uh, a couple months ago. Oh, you uh, like collecting Criterion movies? Yeah, I like uh, oh, okay. collecting physical media. It's really oh, okay. cool. Um, I don't believe in that, but yeah. yeah. Uh, it may or may not be on the Criterion channel, but um, uh, a lot of the movie is structured around um, conflicting personalities and um and impulses and and goals within uh, a very confined space um it's not a horror movie it's it's more um you know like tense action drama yeah. type uh type thing um but it, it's great uh, i can't recommend it enough it's a lot of fun i wish there were more fucking movies like this i get i mean you know you generally get this kind of feeling out of like murder mysteries like yeah. honestly it's fucking comedy but like clue Kind of, a little bit. Yeah. You know? Like, uh, John Carpenter said that the script had reminded him of the uh, Agatha Christie book, and then there were none. Oh, it's one of my favorite books. I don't read a lot of books, but that's a book I love. You don't have to say you read a lot of books. You can say you don't read a lot of books. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great book, period. I off my cap to you, sir. Uh, What was the funniest part of the thing for you? I, I know mine. I mean, it's the. It's do you the, do you want to say yours? Yes, yeah, it might I be. Do. It might be mine. It's one answer. My, it's him pouring the glass in the computer. How is oh, it anything else? That ma- that, just, that just made me groan. Yeah, I, I think they're the genuinely funniest. <laughs> Wasted good of this alcohol movie. and computer. Like there yeah. are there are a few true. funny parts in the in the inter- in the blood interrogation scene, but the absolute funniest part is when Childs is like, "Get me out of this fucking chair!" After they've tested his blood, "Get me out of this fucking chair!" And then just a really quick cut to them cut just to the, the old yeah, guy sitting alone. Yep. That is the uh, there's some cut. really funny, really like taut, uh, really like playful cuts in that scene in general. Yeah. That, that entire really two well. minute stretch is is hilarious because we we're supposed to be like ramping up the tension as yeah. we like eliminate each suspect and then it's like just very funny as su- like suddenly they're one of them's behind the flamethrower yeah it's so it's and, so good and that's maybe what made it work even like so well i mean even better than it was than it than it could have been is that at that point we're so like you know we we see the the hot wire hit the blood and, and we're so relieved we're like we're ready to laugh like that's yeah. such a big sigh of relief, and then like Gary has uh, like you know great outburst after that. You know, whenever you get around to it, I would really like like to not spend no. this winter tied to this fucking couch. Oh, were you gonna? I was gonna end the episode with that, but that's okay. Oh, that's a really funny good part. <laughs> oh, okay, I have still have this. Oh, nice. Can I say the the that scene is done so well? Everybody mentions the jump scare in that scene. It's a pretty good oh, one. Were you good? Yeah, where where it, it, it just fucking shoots out of the blood mm. really quick. Um, that's really well done. It's really well set up. It's nice that it's said during like a, he's like making kind of a snarky comment and then it shoots out. Um, To me, it didn't happen this viewing because I knew what was going to happen. But when I first saw this film, the the three people being tied up on the couch, the minute that was like proposed as a thing, I was like, 
why the fuck would you do that? Like, one of those things is going to be the thing, and those two people are going to be like, well, I guess I'm tied to this fucking thing now. And the, that whole scene, I was just watching that, like, that's going to fucking happen, and then it happens. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it gave me a lot of anxiety Better watching that the first time. Right. Um, this is an unconventional funniest part, uh, but when the dog is let into the kennel, and it's... First of all, like, I don't know how they made it happen, but, like, the dog does such a great job of communicating that it's not a dog, that, that it's, that it's like, it, like, takes a step forward and then sort of, like, looks around, and it's, like, like, you can hear, I, like, it becomes a hilarious, like, madcap, like, fish-out-of-water story for a second, because, like, I could almost hear the alien, like, the thing inside the, the dog being, like, Okay, you're pulling this off. You're pulling this off. Like you took hey another, there, fellas. Took another they don't suspect a thing. Nobody suspects a thing. Look, all these dogs—they're not freaking out. You're good. You're good. It's like the guy's like, "Come on, what are you waiting for? Come on!" And he's—he's he's got like half of his body out, and the dog's just like completely at attention, like completely rigid, stiff dog. Staring at a Ears back, like door. you've never, like Jason, like you said, like you've never seen a dog behave this way. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on with this dog? Like I knew what it was, but but in the, like you could hear it. It is in his head being like, okay, one paw in front of another, you've got this, you're good, you've how's got the, it. Uh, how's it the weather, like, fellas? It's like playing <laughs> Hitman. I guess that's, that's my, that was like my, that's that's my recommendation, is that like, if you want to play as the thing, play Hitman. Play Hitman, yeah. yeah. Also play Hitman anyway. Yeah, yeah it's a, gr- it's a very game. good game. Um, Sorry, go ahead. What were you oh, doing? I was gonna say I'm out of the like, like the waiting pool. Uh, you know, I was I was in the I, I could wait in in this pool of video games, and now I'm. I'm oh, being... uh, Hitman's great. We should uh, play Hitman I've heard, sometime. Yeah, I've heard you. Come over. Really, yeah, we should because it's it's almost it's as fun kind to watch of a thing, it is. isn't it? it is we should thing. Thing. You are we should thing. watch the movie Hitman Agent Forty Seven. And then oh, we should play yeah. Hitman. That, that is a Timothy movie Oliphant? you might play at the trial on. I guess yes, it is. Yes, Timothy Elephant was Hitman. Timothy Elephant. How are you going to end this episode? That would have been um, good. You could just cut uh, that. I don't know. I, I feel like that's a good cut. What but. was I going to talk about? I had something. Oh. We're going to cut like the first 16 minutes off of this bad boy. Yes, we are. Maybe, yes, we maybe are. the first we eight to. minutes, 15. Like it's so to. bad. We, uh, we can do the outros with names and stuff. And then I, well, I, I was going to say something. Oh. No, I'm sorry. Um. Hey, here's a fun fact. A scene with McCready absentmindedly inflating a blow-up doll while watching the Norwegian <laughs> tapes of what happened at the research lab was filmed what was not in the finished film. I'm mad that that wasn't in the movie. Foregrounding sexuality in that way would have been a good idea, and they should have done it. We needed to talk about the the physical problem of these men not being able to have heteronormative sex because it it would foreground their sexual frustrations in a way that would aid the tension and paranoia and in homoeroticism of this movie in a really good way. They should have done Did it. Did you see the way that he dumps juice into that computer, though? That's pretty pretty fucking horny. Juice. We'd cut it there. That'd be a good spot to cut it, I, I feel. I feel like I had more to say about Please, this movie. If Co- but if, if we, I want to get Cody's clean end on this. Yeah. Well, are we going to do like... Oh, uh, uh, thank you very much for listening to Trilove. Uh, you can find us at tw- on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. My name is Jason. I'm Cody. I'm Harry. I'm Aaron. And uh, nobody, nobody trusts anybody now. And we're all very tired. And the thing I was going to do is I was going to say... Uh, I know you've all been through a lot, but I would like to not spend the rest of winter tied to this fucking chair! Couch. He says couch. Whatever. I'm sick.